You're listening to the She Runs the Show podcast with Cassandra Vaughn, episode 170 with communications and branding expert Gina Molinari. I am so excited to bring you this interview with Gina Molinari today. I can't tell you. Every time I hear this episode, there are so many drop the mic moments that it it blows me away. And every time I listen to this episode, it gives me nuggets to go back to, to refer to, to work on, not just with branding and communications, but with my life and how I show up in business. So you're going to want a notepad, you're going to want a pen, you're going to want to open up Evernote, because there will be lots of notes for you to take from this episode. Let's get to it. Here's the interview with communications aficionado, Gina Molinari. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of She Runs the Show, and I have the amazing, phenomenal Gina Molinari with me. Hey, Gina. Hi, Cassandra. How are you? Awesome, awesome. I am so glad to finally have you on She Runs the Show. You are a voice like no other, a communications aficionado. So this is, you know, in She Runs the Show, we oftentimes spend so much time talking about mindset, and the beauty of today is you're an expert in how to use your mindset and your branding and your authenticity to get it through the way you communicate via your business. So talk to me a little bit about, I mean, I want everybody to know just how powerful, I call you a powerhouse, just how powerful your voice <laughs> is. Tell everybody a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey and how you came to become a communication specialist. Sure. Uh, I'd love to tell that story because it's such a random story and it makes me really happy to tell it. So my background is actually as a classical singer. I went to my undergrad to be an opera singer. And what I came to realize through my, my undergraduate journey is that even though I have this fantastic voice, I have a very natural talent for singing and I developed it through college, of course, I really hated to be on stage. And I, I just could not figure out for the life of me how I enjoyed singing. I enjoyed working on it and practicing and, and diving in so much to the actual technique of doing it. But I never actually wanted to go to an audition. I never really wanted to pursue it. I never really saw myself as a singer. And it was just the most confusing sort of feeling to have such, you know, disconcerting sort of ideologies about my future. And so what I decided was I'm just too afraid to pursue singing, and I'm going to go on the business side of the arts. So I went to graduate school. I went to NYU for a performing arts administration master's where I fell in love with marketing. And what I loved about it was that I could really communicate to people, especially in the classical music world. There's a lot of people that have this sort of stigma of what classical music is. Maybe it's a little stuffy, not for me sort of thing. And I wanted to change that conversation. And I thought as an artist, you know, I knew both sides of that conversation. I had some business acumen that I could do that. And so what I came to realize and even pursuing a job out of college, like a traditional sort of arts organization job, was that... Mm, Actually, there's some gaps there, too. There was some gaps. They don't teach you as a musician or as an artist how to be an entrepreneur, which is essentially what you are. I mean, you get to go out there and find your work. You get to network, and you get to figure out what it is your career is going to look like unless you're paying an agent, which isn't always feasible. So my first true business attempt of my own was to create a business coaching musicians on how to be entrepreneurs. 
And that failed miserably. I didn't make a single dollar. It was terrible. <laughs> like literally, like every literally other not a entrepreneur dollar. who just doesn't tell the story of the first six businesses they started. Oh no, no, just no. Saying. I did not make a single dollar, and I was so frustrated because the feedback I was getting was that, oh, that's so important. Oh yeah, you're totally right. We don't get that in school. This is absolutely something that everybody everybody's gonna want. And yet nobody was was clamming to, to send me their money. So I knew there was something in the gap there. I wasn't really sure what it was. And exploring a little bit more, I wound up going through this emotional intelligence leadership program. And there's a lot of self-discovery involved with it. And after many, many years of delving into that and sort of playing around with it more, I realized that my connection to music was really more about communicating a message. I loved connecting to a piece of music, even when it wasn't in English, and learning how it was that I could move people with that message. Because at that point, I'm a vehicle for it. I'm not actually the person creating the music. I'm just delivering it to the audience. And so, I mean, thinking back on it, one of my favorite things to sing for is funerals. Because if you can't move somebody in that moment when emotions are at their most high, their most raw, and their most real then you can't move somebody, period. Mm -hmm. And so I would sing in the balcony, you know, I'm up in the balcony. Nobody's looking at me. It's not about me being the star of the show. It's me tapping into somebody's heart long enough that they can finally let go. And when I was going through this leadership training, realizing that this was my connection, and I noticed the pattern, I was like, wait a minute, music, marketing. I've always loved to write. I've always been a fantastic editor. And leadership training is all about communication and connection, holy shit, like that's what this was for me. Like it was this huge light bulb moment that I've always really wanted to just connect with people. And when I was younger, I was the youngest, I'm the youngest of two. And I just often felt like I was sort of on the outskirts of my own family. You know, we were a very talkative family, very loud Italian family from New Jersey. And I often just took it all in. I just watched everybody. And I, I picked up on the body language nuances. And I picked up on the little quips that people would say and then hear what they really meant to say later in behind closed doors. And I just realized that me observing all of my life led me to have this sort of superpower to see and listen to the listening that I could see somebody saying one thing, but hear their body language screaming something else. And the feedback that I've always gotten as a person and as a person in business is that I'm just so authentic with people. I'm so real with them. And I used to be a little more crass about it. I'll admit it. It's a New Jersey thing. But it's just something that I didn't realize doesn't come so naturally for other people. And so that's something that I'm just dying to do, especially in a professional sense, because when it's your brand, when it's you as a solo entrepreneur or when you're the face of a business, if you're not real, they're not buying it because they can sense that. You know, it's, it's a matter of think about the times where, you know, you meet somebody on the street that you ran into maybe at the grocery store. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. How are you doing? You know for a fact, based on their tone of voice, whether or not they're telling the truth or if they're just giving you a platitude for the sake of moving the conversation along. We know that. And yet we forget that other people can pick that up when we do it, too. That's right, because energy doesn't lie. No, exactly. And you can't always fight it. I mean, if, if somebody else isn't intuitive enough, to, intuitive enough to always pick it up, that's one thing. But overall, people will get it. If they're listening to you, they're going to know that something's amiss. And so it's hard for somebody to trust you, know you, like you, when they feel like you're not being real with them. And being real doesn't always look pretty. It doesn't always look smart. It doesn't always look put together. And that's okay, too, because that's what makes somebody really, really trust you is when you show them the warts. 
Yes, I think that's so I think that's so powerful when you think about it, you know, from your first business to the the business where you're helping entrepreneurs with their branding, with their communication, with being real and owning every piece of that. What for you has been the hardest part of your entrepreneurial journey? The hardest part of my entrepreneurial journey was getting to what it is that I'm truly passionate about. It was figuring that out and then forgiving myself for changing paths so many times. Because what I found wound up happening was that I felt guilty that I had put so much money, that my family had put so much money into training me to be a singer, and then I felt like I walked away from it. But when I restructure that conversation in my head and realize all the skills that I have to apply to this business from my performing career and training... I, I can't be upset about that. I can't feel guilty about, quote, unquote, walking away from it because I do have skills from that that I wouldn't have had in other experiences. So letting go of that guilt and really letting myself know that shifting and evolving what it is I'm creating is okay. Gina, you said something so powerful, restructuring that conversation in your head. I, I can definitely say there are many, many women entrepreneurs out there, uh, entrepreneurs in general, who feel guilt about different things, whether they feel guilt about the failures or they feel guilt about the money invested and lost or they feel guilt about the time that they're spending away from their family to build this business. How did you restructure the conversation in your head? A lot of it is true presence and commitment to whatever it is that I'm creating. So for myself, I know that I work best under structure. I actually really enjoy structure. So what I do is I create myself a schedule of what to stick to. And I know myself well enough to know that, okay, I know I'm going to need a day to myself just to catch up on things and, and spend time with my boyfriend or, or, you know, go do grocery shopping, cleaning the house, what have you. Knowing that I can plan that into my day and then whatever it is that's on my agenda, I am in full hog. I don't sit there and think about the other things that get to be done tomorrow. I don't sit there and think about, oh, well, you know, this isn't productive. I really shouldn't be. I just let myself be. Because if I don't, then my recuperation time isn't actually restorative. You know, me sitting there with my boyfriend snuggling on the couch is not going to be nearly as enjoyable if I'm sitting there panicked about the deadlines that I'm missing right now. So letting myself be fully present to what it is that I'm doing, I can enjoy it more. And then I'm actually more focused as well. So especially when the time is for me to sit down, hunker down and work, I'm focused. I'm not thinking about whether or not, you know, my boyfriend's mad at me, whether or not my friends think I'm ignoring them. I just know that this is what I'm up to today. Powerful. So presence, mindfulness, uh, letting what uh, is first be first without worrying about what's coming fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth. Powerful. That's really powerful. I'm really good at doing that in the past. And yeah. I know now that no, this is this is what's really going to keep me focused so that everything gets to be done. That is awesome. Now talk to me more about, about your business. Who who is your, your ideal client and what's your business why? My ideal client is somebody who has an established business. You know, they're they're making money, they got some clients going, but they're not quite getting to that next level. Maybe they're not quite full time yet, but they're on the verge of it, or maybe they are full time, but they're really feeling nervous about keeping the sustainability going. It's somebody who knows that they have value to give and they're still trying to do it all themselves. So the value that I can give them, I, I offer quite a few different types of services, but the primary ones are copywriting, editing, and consulting and coaching. There's like combinations of those. So again, because I have this background with marketing and performance, 
anybody who has a podcast or has video work, you know, I can really coach them through being able to do that in a more powerful way, in a really authentic way. And so we work as like a feedback relationship. You know, they give me some sort of content to give them feedback on, and I coach them into here. Here's how you can improve. And a lot of times we wind up having these very deep conversations because, you know, earlier, like we were talking about the restructuring the conversations in your head, a lot of the words that we choose, we say sometimes it's on autopilot, but the reality is that that auto pilot was programmed from something. So it was programmed from an experience you had, somebody said something and you picked up on it, what have you. And it may feel like autopilot, but there's always reason behind what it is we say and how it is we show up in the world. And so if we're lacking intention of what those words are, then it may be showing up in a way that's disjointed and is not showing up as authentic and therefore it's not as powerful. So coaching somebody through that or even doing that in the written word and that's where the copywriting and the editing comes in. So I can take that off your plate or you can give me something and I can coach you through, hey, you know, here's how you could tell this story a little bit better in a way that really makes sense to people. And in the written word, it becomes even more important to be very particular with word choice. Because as we know, certain people have certain stigmas on certain language. And especially if they're not a native English speaker, would this make sense to somebody if that's part of your ideal clientele? Is it somebody who doesn't speak English natively? There's, there's very, being very cognizant of meeting people where they're at as if they're reading this information for the first time and they have no idea what you're talking about otherwise. What, what would you say, you know, copywriting is such an interesting thing because I think so many entrepreneurs um, think that copywriting is uh, is easier than it is. You know, I think a lot of solopreneurs think that copywriting is, oh, I'll just, you know, take a little workshop here, a little course here, and then I'll just write great copy. What, what are your secrets to great copy? Because I think most people who are not copywriters or who do not have expertise in this area, they don't get what is at the heart of, of great copywriting? It's always a story. It's always storytelling in some fashion. Even something as clinical or, you know, as just dry as medical uh, research papers or something, it's all a story. And so, again, that consistency sort of comes back in terms of being consistent with how you're grasping the reader into what it is that they're reading. And then the consistency of the language you're using, is it easy for them to keep reading? Do they want to keep reading? Just allowing them to experience what it is that they're reading and like connecting to that emotional aspect of it. Because even again, if it's a technical thing, you still need to keep them interested enough to continue. And how do, I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, a, a lot of people say content is king, right? In, in business, especially if you have an online business, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, you want to have a YouTube channel over here and you want to have Instagram and IG stories and IGTV and all of this kind of stuff. What is your take on this whole idea of, of content being king? I think that's misleading. Mm-hmm. I think the idea of content being king if you're doing it right, that is absolutely true. You know, if you're a Gary Vee where you have all the resources to make every single medium and platform work for you, absolutely. But when you're just one person running your own business, or even if you have a VA to support you, there's only so much you can do. And so it's important to do the thing that you know you can be consistent with. It's important to do the thing that you're excited about doing something with because dreading it means you're going to come out with shitty copy. You know, if you're dreading something, it's going to come out on the page because, again, that comes back to the intention. 
And it's important to be consistent with what the message is. A lot of my clients come to me saying that they're the clients that are coming to them are not the people they're looking for because they're not understanding what it is that they do or offer. And so there's something getting lost in the weeds there. And a lot of times if we're if we're not clear on that, then the content's going to reflect that. How do you get clear on what you do or offer? Because I could see many new entrepreneurs going, that makes a lot of sense, but I don't really even have clarity about what I do or offer. Yeah, well, I mean, some of that takes a lot of trial and error experimentation. Some of it takes working through with different clients, you know, maybe bartering services so that you can be guinea pigs for each other sort of thing so that you can be really clear on what gifts do you have to offer that other people come to you for, you know, the thing that they say you would do it even if you didn't get paid. What are the things that people really need? What are their pain points? Because that's truly what you're serving. What One of the biggest breakthroughs I had with a business coach was my business for coaching musicians as entrepreneurs failed because I was giving them the answer instead of talking to them about their problem. Mm. And that was a huge realization of like, oh, well, of course I know the answer because I'm the one presenting this business as here's the solution. But if they don't know that they have a problem, you coming to them with the solution isn't going to help them at all. That's powerful. Yeah, it yeah. was super Ooh. helpful. And I, I sat there because I realized I was doing the same thing again with this business that I've now created. And I was like, oh, my God, that's absolutely what's happening. I keep coming to them forgetting that I have the answers because this is my superpower. This is the thing that I'm great at and that I get to give to the world. But if I'm coming at clients that way, if I'm coming at potential clients that way, they're not getting it because we're not having the same conversation. We're having it from, you know, me over the rainbow and her back in Kansas. And that's some words. Exactly. <laughs> that's so true. That is so, wow, I never looked at it that way. That is so true. Because unless somebody realizes or goes deep on, on the fact that they do have a problem, they're not looking for a solution. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So the people I serve when I'm talking to somebody who is potentially interested in my services is I ask them, is content a struggle for you? Are you finding that your clients aren't really coming to you with the problems that you're looking to solve? Because to me, that says, okay, there's a disconnect in the conversation to which they can then say yes. And I say, okay, here's what I think is happening. This is my professional opinion. And here's how I believe I can help you with that problem. And that's what hooks them. Yeah, because you're getting, yep, you're helping, you're you're giving them illumination as to what is really the issue, and then you're presenting the solution as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's. It gives me a moment to actually show them that I know what I'm doing and that I know what I'm talking about too, because then they, that's when they start to trust me. So I build that relationship with them in the process. They know that I want what's best for them and their business. Absolutely. Well, it sounds to me, so So I want to ask you a question because it sounds to me like a lot of the work that you do, I mean, there's a ton of heavy lifting when it comes to copywriting. There's a ton of heavy lifting when it comes to coaching and consulting. And we live in a world that I, send, I tend to see two camps of people. I see the, you know, uh, the Gary V's and the Grant Cardone's that are like hustle, hustle, hustle. You can sleep when you're dead, like three hours a night, do what you got to do, right? And then I see this other camp that's, I call them the self-love revolution. And they're just like, I just love yourself love yourself sleep eight hours create a vision board it's all going to happen on its own it will just all come to you magically so um i want your take on both those camps what's your take on hustle and grind and how do you work in your business 
Yeah, well, so this comes back to the conversation we were having earlier about how I keep a schedule, and I am an absolute workhorse. I have always been a workhorse. I have been raised to have a very, very strong work ethic. And for a while, that was actually to my detriment because I would throw myself into work, and then my personal life would suffer because I was looking for validation only in the thing that I was good at and not working on the things I wasn't. So through all of that leadership training where I really got to, you know, learn more about myself and dive deep into all of my limiting beliefs and whatnot, I was able to find that balance. And I, I'm somewhere in the middle, honestly, because I love working very hard. And if I'm working on something I'm excited about, it's three in the morning and I didn't even realize it yet. But I also really like my sleep and I do not function very well on, on very little sleep. And I know that about myself. So I very rarely actually sacrifice my sleep for work because I know that tomorrow somebody else is going to pay for it or I'm going to pay for it. So, I mean, I try to be real with myself in that way that I know, yes, I get to work very hard to make things happen, but I also get to work smart. And so if I'm working very hard and not taking care of myself in the process, then none of those things are going to happen for me anyway. That's powerful. So you, you've met you and so you know it works for you. Oh, yeah, I do. And believe me, people who have met sleep-deprived Gina do not like sleep-deprived Gina either. So, yeah. you, you save you from you when you get your sleep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. Well, how can people learn more about you? Where can they go to find out about the copywriting and the coaching and the consulting? Absolutely. Well, the best thing to do is to really give me a call. I offer a free hour-long discovery call so that we can really dive in and figure out what unique needs that somebody has. And you can do that on my website, which is ginamolinary.com. And you'll see, you know, there's a, a section talking about the services, and you can book a call right there. Um, or you can just shoot me an email at mattersofthevoice at gmail.com. That email is also on that website. Perfect, perfect. Now, I'm going to ask you this final question, and it's my favorite question. I want you to think Ooh. about the you that is that is in existence 10 years from now. So if you 10 years from now could give you one piece of advice about you taking your business to the next level, what advice would that version of you in 10 years give the version of you today? Just be patient. Ooh. Yeah, patience is something that I've really, really leaned into in the past two years or so because I, I've, I've worked so hard my whole life and then gotten mad at myself because things haven't happened yet. And instead, I get to say, just be patient, just take a deep breath. And it's it, my intuition's going to tell me or the opportunity will come or you'll connect with the right person. And as long as I keep going, I just get to be patient and have faith that it's going to happen. And so, so that's such an interesting answer. It, how was your experience of patience? Because I'm not a patient person either. And so I find uh, having courageous patience, uh, sometimes I'm present and mindful, and it feels like I can find a way to enjoy the present moment. And sometimes I'm like, hell, can we just fast forward six months? Yeah. How was yeah. your experience of patience? Ah, it, it ebbs and flows. You know, right now, as I'm talking about it and as I'm in my flow of talking about communication, I feel like I could be the most patient person in the world. But then something comes up and I get to remind myself, really remind myself, like, okay, no, I am a patient person. I can, I am, I'm strong. I am hardworking. I deserve this. And I just get to be patient. And it's, sometimes it's as simple as just taking a couple of my deep singer's breaths, you know, the ones that go all the way down into your pelvic floor and just giving myself a fucking minute. Exactly. I don't know if I'm allowed to say Yeah, you here, are. By the way. Totally by the, to say okay, that. Totally. great. Fantastic. Because that's the third curse I've dropped in. So. 
So, yeah, sometimes I just really get to take a deep breath and just let myself be for a second and remind myself how small I am in this world, how what I'm doing does matter, and that it's all going to be okay, ultimately. Absolutely. Now, I want to I want to go a little bit deeper on this because I think this is so important. We live in a world where a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs and new entrepreneurs, they um, they see the success stories. Right. They hear about the Kimra Luna's who, you know, her first launch was like over a million dollars in the first year of business. They hear about different people who six figures in six months and all this kind of stuff. And I think we live in a world, especially with social media, that breeds impatience. So how do you coach and consult clients who, you know, they, they may want their copy to produce this amount of revenue in six months or three? How do you coach and consult people through this concept of it's it's about consistency, not about like getting it right one time and having it take off in three months? How do you coach to that? A lot of that actually is the deep diving on a coaching call, which is almost like a life coaching call at that point, because we dive into where that impatience is coming from. Mm. Is it coming from the fear that it's not going to happen? Is it coming from the fear of wasting money? Is it coming from the fear of not being good enough? Like, where is that coming from? Because once you know that source conversation, it's easier to recognize and then kind of reel yourself back in. Oh, that is so, that yeah. is so good. And then, and that's hard for people, let me tell you. Well, and, and how do you not get, here's the thing, how do you, once you, just like you're saying, taking a few deep breaths and then you get centered for a moment and then you go out into the world and you see something on social media and it throws you off culture again. What is the process for you of always coming back to this reframing of patience? Curiosity, actually. So, Allowing myself to remember that other people aren't me, and so what they're putting out there that may annoy me, frustrate me, piss me off, what have you, it's their interpretation of a given situation. So if I come at it with curiosity of like, huh, that's so interesting that they would see it that way, as opposed to coming back to it with judgment, then it's so much easier for me not to let myself even get to that point. Absolutely. That is so... And curiosity is such a game changer, don't you think, when you can get curious yeah. about something rather than judgmental of it? Mm-hmm. It actually changed my relationship with my mother mm. because I, I used to have such a volatile relationship with my mother because of how she showed up, certain things that she would say or how she would behave. And I would I, I forgot that she was a person in some ways. You know, I would I'd forget that she has her own life experiences, her own history, her own childhood, which some of it was honestly kind of traumatic for her. And when I forget that, it's really hard to be patient with her instead of, you know, judgmental of, oh, why can't you just be the adult here? You know, but the reality is that she's a person and she's hurting. And sometimes, you know, she, she says something that I don't agree with, but I know where it comes from. And I remind myself of where it comes from. And in that way, I get to be more compassionate with her, too. And that's something that's super important to have connections with people in the world, especially business partners. You don't get to pick, you know, who it is you do business with all the time. And so if you're compassionate with them, reminding yourself that they're a person and not a paycheck, you know, that's that's a game changer as well, because we forget. We forget when they're in different contexts and we're not automatically having that personal relationship, we, we sometimes leave that part out too much and then forget the reality. Mm, and I can see how that idea of compassion 
and and relating to people through curiosity also runs right back into the idea of the copy that they write. So when you work with entrepreneurs, you know, especially those who are, you know, they're sending out their weekly emails, they're writing blog posts, they're doing things. Uh, what are your tips on how do you how do you use curiosity and compassion to really deliver authentically through your writing? Sometimes it takes getting vulnerable. Sometimes it takes getting vulnerable and uncomfortable. And instead of, I mean, ultimately asking yourself, why? Why am I putting out this newsletter this week? Am I doing it because I said I would send it out every Monday? Or am I doing it because I truly have something to say? Because I truly have value to give? And if you're asking yourself that question and you don't really have an answer other than, well, this is the habit, then dive deep into that and figure out where where that vulnerable conversation is that you can have with your audience in that moment. Say, you know what? I didn't really feel like doing a newsletter this week, but here's the reason that I did, because these are the things I'm committed to. And like reminding people of your message and your mission. People respect that. That's powerful. And and when people worry about sending out too many emails or, um, you know, producing too much content because, or, or even I think lots of people have the fear of, giving calls to action at the end of every piece of content or at the end of a lot of content. How do you coach people around this fear of being salesy? So I used to give, uh, I used to work social media management. I used to do a lot of that. And one of the big rules back in the day, I don't know how applicable this is now in comparison, but it was this rule of thirds where you only spend a third of your time actually promoting yourself in terms of sales. And then the other third is providing value in the form of getting to know you personally or curating content that's related to your message if you are not getting it directly. So the idea is content is supposed to be giving value. Your content is supposed to be in service to your client or to your newsletter uh, email list. It's supposed to be you giving of something so that way when you do make the ask of something to actually buy they're like you know what they've given me so much value and i haven't paid a dime for it i would love to buy their book i would love to to share this post about whatever so that you know they can possibly get some more leads on this it becomes a more it becomes an easier decision for them to make as opposed to my god i can't believe they're asking for something from me again unclick unsubscribe Exactly. So, so you're saying it's sort of like, um, what did Gary Vee say? He, I have one, that book that says Jab Jab Hook. Yep. Yeah. Jab Jab Hook. It's the, yep. it's the Jab Jab Hook. So really, give give ask give give ask. Absolutely. What about- and the funny thing is, like, when you give, people like you more not only for that, but when you ask them a favor, then they like you more for that as well. Like, they feel like they have value because they were able to help you in some way. So if you're giving, 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 they're going to all of a sudden feel this really wonderful sense of pride and, oh, great, I can finally help them with something. Yeah, which is which is so true. Now, what do you say to clients who say to you, okay, I'm doing the jab, jab, I'm giving, 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 but when I get ready to ask, I feel guilt, I, I feel I have all kinds of negative energy around the asking. Have you ever worked with people who, you know, they give greatly and they're in their power when they serve, but the moment now that they're going to move to the ask, it's like their whole energy shifts. Yeah, more often than not, that is a self-worth conversation mm-hmm. in clients that I've experienced. It is a, you know, I, I am so supportive of everybody else. I want to give to them. I want to give to them. And then when it's time to ask for something for you, you feel weird about it. I mean, to me, that says it's somebody who wouldn't ask for 
you know, somebody to hold the door for them if it came to that. It's somebody who really struggles to ask for help from somebody else unless there's some sort of, you know, balance or, or something due to them. Like, oh, well, you know, it's my husband, so of course he has to do, you know, like there's, there's always some sort of disconnect in, in the self-worth conversation when that sort of conversation comes up with a client. So when you're working with a copywriting client and, and you get to the deep thing that it's a self-worth conversation, What's the work of turning that around so that their ask can be as powerful as their give? I mean, you get to remind yourself in that moment of why it is you're doing what you're doing, that constant stepping into your why and and reminding yourself of your vision. Like, what are you creating a business for if you don't feel like you're worth having people pay you for it? If that's the case, keep yourself a hobby. I mean, I know that's tough for people to hear. (laughs) It's, it's painful sometimes, but at the same time, if you're not doing it with the potential to be paid for it and compensated for it, and it doesn't have to be six figures, million dollar salaries to do it, but if you're trying to create a business, you get to be comfortable with the ask and know that you're worth asking for. That is powerful. That is so powerful. Wow. Um, wow. That's so powerful. <laughs> I can't even, I don't even have words because that's just and a that's drop. the type of work we do together. <laughs> that's, a, that's a drop the mic moment right there. Because uh, really, there is a moment where you have to say to yourself, either I am who I believe I am and I'm worthy of great things, or I'm not and I'm going to accept what I'm choosing. Yeah. That's powerful. And And as you said, that self-worth conversation, even though someone may think, an entrepreneur may think that um, it's only happening on the inside of them, it comes out in their copy. It comes out in their content. So at some point, they have to deal with it, don't you think? Always. It always comes out. And people don't think that it does, but it truly does. I mean, I listen to women specifically. I see a lot of women constantly saying, I'm sorry. Almost every other sentence that they say, I'm sorry, can I just say something? I'm really sorry to do this. Can I just, and it makes me want to punch someone in the face, honestly, (laughs) because it's so aggravating to hear somebody apologizing for being who they are, for having an idea, for wanting to contribute. Like you are not interrupting and getting in the way simply because you wanted to add to a conversation. And that's just so painful for me to watch somebody like that and, and for them to own a business and to function that way, like how is somebody going to respect you enough, quite honestly, to want to take your call to action? It's just too hard for them. They don't, they don't, if you don't feel confident enough in it, they're not going to feel confident enough in it. Oh boy. Right there. Right there. That was everything. Right <laughs> there. I'm telling, and you know what's funny? I used to be a person who used to say, I'm sorry a lot. I rarely say it now, but I used to be, when I had my first child, who's now 21, I used to say I'm sorry all the time, and at five years old in kindergarten, one day I said I'm sorry, I can't remember what I said I'm sorry for, and he looked at me and he said, Mommy, sorry doesn't make good. Wow. And that was a light bulb, wake up epiphany moment for me right then and there. And that changed the game from a five-year-old who said, Mommy, sorry doesn't make good. So I hear what you're saying. And there's lots of, as as you're even mentioning the example of the sorry, there's so many language issues and terms that we use that we don't know are actually disempowering to us as entrepreneurs. And I think that's that really sounds like that's part of what you help entrepreneurs understand. It's not only the creation of the copy, but it's the understanding of how 
that entrepreneur shows up with what they say, with what they deliver, with what they do, so that all of those things, including the language, is consistent with the brand. Yeah. Copy is about saying something, or is about having something to say, not saying something. Ooh. So if you're, if you don't have that genuine intention behind it, again, if you're just churning out copy for the sake of it, versus truly connecting to the reason that you're sharing this information, then it's not valuable to somebody. Or if it is, it's a very superficial sort of value, and it doesn't stick. Yeah. No, I get, I get exactly what you're saying. And the thing, and so let me ask you um, another question about that, because I think a lot of entrepreneurs might have this question. You know, so many of them do certain things, like you said, by habit. So they send a daily email or they send a weekly email or they do three posts a week because somebody told them they had to do three posts a week on their blog. Um, and a lot of them get into the autopilot method and they say, well, if I really am going to sit and, and be intentional and think about this and go deep with this, it's going to take me hours to produce one piece and I don't have hours to produce one piece. What do you say to that? It should take you hours to produce one piece if that's where you're starting to connect with your copy and to connect with your message. Boom. And it won't always be that way. It'll become easier for you over time. But the reality is if you get to take a step back and realize that this is the thing preventing you from really taking your business to the next level or really getting some strong traction in your business, then it's too important not to waste a few hours. No, I'm not even going to say the word waste. It's too important not to use those hours to produce one piece of great copy because I will read and share and reflect and revisit one piece of great copy versus reading three pieces of okay copy. Mm. Every time. Every time. It's so I, just, I won't waste my time. It's so true. <laughs> so spend the time. If it's three hours, spend the time. Exactly. That's you didn't get where you are doing just, you know, a half an hour's worth of work. Exactly. I didn't get where I am in terms of being a singer by practicing, you know, once a day for a month and then, and then calling myself an opera singer. I spent years, hours, months. I can't tell you how many days I spent locked in a practice room trying to get certain pieces right so that I could sing a high D above the staff. I couldn't do that if I wasn't dedicated to my 10,000 hours of practice. Um. And this is no different. And I granted, yeah, you're not going to necessarily be a professional copywriter like myself. And co writing content is not necessarily the thing that you want to be doing, but it's your message. And the message is what gets to be perfected and that much craft and care goes into it. That is so powerful. Deliberate practice. Deliberate. Your yeah. 10,000 hours deliberate practice. I love it. Gina, you are so amazing. I'm so glad we finally got you on She Runs the Show. Thank you. It has been too. such a long time in waiting. And again, anyone who is listening, if you're even thinking about starting a business, if you don't even have a business name yet, I would not move a step forward without working with Gina. Go to GinaMolinary.com, sign up for one of those discovery breakthrough sessions so you can get clear before you get 10 steps in and figure out you need to take 10 steps back. Gina, thank you so much for being on She Runs the Show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Was that episode not the bomb.com? Yes, it was. It was the bomb.com. And I have to tell you, if you know that you need to work on your branding because 
You've got self-worth issues that you've got to get intact. You've got questions of authenticity and curiosity that there are, you've got to get to the ask and be able to confidently ask for what you're worth. If you know you're working on any of those issues and you haven't yet resolved them, Gina is the person you need to be working with. So be sure that you check her out at ginamolinari.com and book that discovery call. Book, do not pass go, do not wait, do not say I'm going to wait six more months before I make more money. Gina is the real deal. She brings the best of coaching and branding consulting and copywriting consulting and communications. And you know what's most important? She helps bring you, the real you, to the core and heart of your business. That's what it's going to take. So visit GinaMolinary.com and I will see you guys. See you guys. I always say see you guys. I will talk to you guys on the next episode of She Runs the Show.